The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. It's in again! It's nine now! And the records are getting smashed left, right and centre. It's Luis Diaz. And Jurgen Klopp can't believe what he's seeing. Liverpool have now equaled the record Premier League win of all time. So Liverpool needed to show a response and boy did they do that and they made some history in the process. Nine against Bournemouth, it's a day that all Reds won't forget, how could you? So where can this feel-good factor propel them now? That plus the Champions League path and the tasty ties in prospects against the likes of Rangers and Napoli. Now, if you haven't already subscribed to The Athletic, you can do and read all of the brilliant articles on Liverpool and everything on the site if you head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. And right now, there is a special price, a pound a month for six months. So head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. I'm Steve Hothersall. This is The Red Agenda. And brilliant to have on the pod today, James Pearce and the chief sports writer of the Belfast Telegraph, Stephen Beacon. Well, a historic day at Anfield. James, let's start with yourself. Uh, just crazy to think of nine goals being scored. The season had been a bit sluggish to start, but boy, that was an emphatic statement. Definitely. Yeah, it was the it was the perfect tonic, wasn't it, I think, to to what had been a, a pretty miserable opening few weeks of the season. You know, a lot of negativity around on the back of those three three results. And not just the results, I think, but also the injury situation and and it, it's always that danger, isn't there, that you know, once once negativity creeps in it can be difficult to lift. And that was why Saturday felt so big for me. And, you know, the obvious caveat is it was only Bournemouth. And of course you have to factor that into the equation. But I honestly believe that Liverpool hit heights on Saturday that, you know, I don't I don't think, regardless of who was in front of them, they wouldn't have been able to, to live with it because some of the, the one-touch attack in football was was absolutely spellbinding at times. And I think, again, the, the most positive thing was that everything that we'd been bemoaning that was lacking in those opening three games, you know, the energy, the intensity, the tempo... It was all there in abundance. There was a a spiral of negativity before the Bournemouth game, and perhaps rightly so, Stephen. Maybe the players, even the manager, maybe they just needed that. Perhaps, Steve. um, For me, what was also important, as well as the nine goals, was keeping a clean sheet, because defensively Liverpool had looked all over the shop in um, the opening matches. And I think it was really, really important to get back to that main lane fighting machine at the back. I was really pleased that we didn't let any goals in. Even when the game was done, I thought it was important to keep it tight at the back. And then, of course, to see the boys score nine goals, absolutely phenomenal effort. Bournemouth, you know, they were poor on the day. But um, as James said, I'm not sure too many teams could have lived with Liverpool. What was really pleasing was that um, Liverpool started incredibly fast which hasn't been the case for some time now, but they kept the foot on the pedal. I've been um, uh, really encouraged this season by Luis Diaz. 
and um, I thought it was fitting that um, he got the opening goal on Saturday and I just enjoyed the whole performance, I've got to be honest. There were some players, obviously, on the back of the Manchester United defeat who came in for a lot of criticism, including Trent Alexander-Arnold, including Virgil van Dijk, and it was important that they scored as well. Trent's goal was an absolute beauty. And, you know, the injury situation is what it is. You know, you're going to get that throughout the course of the season, and the players who are on the pitch have to deal with it, and they did that exceptionally well. I don't want to be a harbinger of doom here, boys, but I'm old enough to remember the, the time whenever <laughs> Liverpool beat Palace 9-0 back in 1989. I suppose it's most famous because it was John Aldrich's last game in a Liverpool shirt, and Aldo came on um, after being called for by the cop, scored a penalty, and Liverpool went on to win 9-0. He then moved to Real Sociedad after that. The reason I remember that game is because the next game a few days later, myself and my brother were travelling over from Northern Ireland to watch Liverpool's next game. And we were certain there's going to be an avalanche of goals. What was the score? Liverpool nil, Norwich nil. And to be honest, Norwich should have beat us on that day. So... Going ahead to the Newcastle match, I just hope that Liverpool, the players, I'm sure Jurgen Klopp will make sure of this, but I hope the players aren't um, full of it and um, they just have to get back down to business again because one swallow doesn't make a summer. I'll tell you the parallels with that Palace game, interestingly. So uh, against Palace in 1989, Steve Nichols scored the first and the last goal and Luis Diaz obviously did that for Liverpool. But also there was eight different goal scorers in that Palace game. Well, there were seven different goal scorers in this. Seven or six, is that right? Which is quite a few different. But no Mo, James, which is utterly bizarre, isn't it? Not even an assist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there was a, a lot of crestfallen fantasy football players on the Saturday evening, probably gleefully rubbing their hands when they scored the saw, saw the scoreline from Anfield and were trying to check out how many points he'd accumulated. And um, yeah, as if as if the odds weren't high enough on... The prospect of Liverpool winning nine nil. You think to to win nine nil without a, a goal or an assist from Salah? And I actually thought he played he played very well. He was he was at the heart of some of the most slick you know creative moves that Liverpool produced. He should have he should have scored at least twice, shouldn't he? I mean, he the the one in the first half where he went with it. I think it was Elliot, wasn't it? Who after an unbelievable flick from Firmino, Elliot's ball across and barely a yard out and he I'm not sure why he didn't just let it go across his body and knock it in with his right rather than try and turn it in with his left and then the one second half when he volleyed it into the cop when you'd have expected him to um to bury it but um you know I think he saw the funny side didn't he I think you know he was even even when the chances went begging for him on Saturday a big big grin on his face because he knew his goals weren't needed on that occasion and I don't think any Every Liverpool fan, I think, will just be hoping that he's he's saving a few for Newcastle and then and then Goodison next weekend. But um, yeah, ironic, really, that you know, probably not long ago when we were saying you know Liverpool can't afford to be too reliant on Mo Salah's goals and you know where else do they come from if he's not producing? And then and then suddenly it was raining goals from all angles. James, there's lots of things we'll all remember about the day, but one of the most poignant ones, and you're not going to hear it often inside Anfield, is the crowd chanting, we want 10. <laughs> I mean, I mean just, just brilliant in many ways. I mean, absolutely sort of soul-destroying for Bournemouth, but for a Liverpool fan, wow, you're lucky if you get that once in a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was slightly surreal, wasn't it? I think certainly those last five minutes and stoppage time, 
you know the roar from the cop and you know the chance of attack 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 were were almost reminiscent of like a, a European night where Liverpool needed another goal to to turn around the deficit on aggregate rather than try and find a tenth goal against a a newly promoted team. But I think everyone in the stadium sensed, didn't they, once that um, that ninth goal went in, that Liverpool were on the brink of, of history and doing something that no team in the Premier League era had done in terms of scoring 10. You know, But for one flying save, I think, from Travers, I think, to deny Milner, they probably would have got it. But, um, but yeah, it was just a real party atmosphere, wasn't it? I think I was... When I was driving back from the game on Saturday night, I was thinking... It felt like it had been a long, long time since Liverpool fans have actually had a game where you could enjoy it. You could sit back, that the stakes weren't ridiculously high, that it wasn't on a knife edge. Because like, even, you know, you think back to the last few months of last season, and as good as Liverpool were in terms of being a machine, in terms of grinding out results, you know, not many of those games were, were comfortable. And, and, and there was so much nerves and anxiety around it. So, um, yeah, I think everyone just absolutely relished the fact that um, that Liverpool had finally put on a show. And I did feel sorry for Bournemouth because, yeah, they, they felt the full force of the Liverpool backlash. Should you feel sorry for them, Stephen? Is it, because you lose 5-0, all right, that might be bad. But 9 becomes sort of humiliating, doesn't it? I'm going to be honest here. I didn't feel sorry for Bournemouth at all. I just wanted Liverpool to get back on track because um, I've been feeling sorry enough for them for the past few weeks. <laughs> so it was um, brilliant to see the Reds do the business. And, you know, with reference, you know, the previous 9-0, Liverpool went on to win the title that season, boys. So hopefully that is a good omen. I wanted to mention Harvey Elliott, by the way, and his goal, which was an absolutely brilliant finish. And there is a young lad who's obviously had his injury problems. He's come back into the team. Some fans have been wondering how he's got in ahead of certain other players. But I'm a massive fan of Harvey's. I think he's going to be an absolute superstar for Liverpool Football Club. And we shouldn't um, forget that he's had a very sad time in his family life recently. His um, grandmother passed away. And um, obviously everyone would love to... Um, send their condolences and sympathy to Harvey and his family. He's a true red. He's going to be an absolutely brilliant footballer for the club for years to come. And you could see what it meant to him to score that goal. Sometimes in football, you know, there's wonderful emotional moments. And that was one for me amid all of the, the goals and the, the frenzied attacks and the, the amazing atmosphere, as James was talking about at the end. So well done, Harvey. First of many Premier League goals and um, your family will be immensely proud of you. Yeah, let's touch a little bit more on him. Um, Harvey was a guest in my lounge at Anfield after the game. I don't know him that well, but I know James does and he knows, knows his family. I was absolutely struck by not only his, his maturity... But his love and his personal investment in in the football club, when he spoke on the stage, there was just this desire to be part of Liverpool history, James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I think that's a, a good summation, Steve. I think, um, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to get to know Harvey a little bit during his time at the club and, and his family as well. And um, I don't think it's any coincidence that... He's got a fantastic family behind him. You know, his his dad Scott. Even I was chatting to his dad Scott at half time actually at Anfield on on Saturday, and um, 
was he wouldn't he was you know wasn't even remotely carried away. I think if, you know, if that was my boy who just slammed home his first Premier League goal from the edge of the box, I'd have, I'd have still been doing cartwheels down the front. But um, yeah, he was you know, talking about yeah yeah decent enough so far yeah yeah you know and. Um, that's always been the way he was. And I remember him telling me a story way back about, you know, when Harvey scored, I think it was nine goals for for his youth team, one of the one of the the age group teams, I think it was at, at Fulham and and it, and his dad basically was giving him in the ear on the way home because he'd lost his marker for the one consolation goal the the opposition had scored. And I think, you know, you need that, don't you? Because you know, if you you need people around you that are gonna keep you humble and driven. And he certainly has that in abundance and you're right you know we're so you know you become cynical don't you in modern football and when you hear players say you know oh it's my dream to play for this club and you know it's you know this is it you know it's so close to my heart you more often than not you're thinking well those words are quite empty but in in Harvey's case you know they couldn't be any truer because you know his, his family have shared with me some of the photos of you know Harvey being at Anfield sat on the cop for the first time at the age of three I think it was I think it was a Champions League qualifier against uh, Maccabi Haifa. He was there in Kiev as a as a fan with his dad, and then you know, of course, twelve months later, he's suddenly on Liverpool's books. and And I think as well, like I think the fans love as well the fact that he's he's fought back from adversity because that was a horrific injury he had last season, and it was so cruel at the time because he'd he'd started the season so brightly, and I think it was always going to be this season before we saw the best of him again. But he, he's worked so so hard. You know, he, he's not that he had much weight to lose, but he's he, he was he was telling me a few weeks ago that he's you know he worked hard in the gym to to shed some more weight and to be sharper and and quicker and leaner this time around. And um, yeah, of course, the injury situation in midfield have, has kind of led to opportunities as well. But he's he's really grasped it. And I think the other great thing, apart from you know the the sight of him scoring that first Premier League goal was, I think if you were being critical so far, you'd say that there wasn't that, you know, he just needed to add that end product in the final third because as you know, he's tactically so intelligent. He works so hard. He presses, he wins the ball back. He's creative. But, you know, Liverpool have been crying out for more goals from midfield. And, you know, when he when he produces a first-time finish like that from 20 yards, it, it whets your appetite about what's to come. Superb, wasn't it? But my actual final question to him was, um, Harvey, whose was the better goal, yours or Trent's? And he sort of paused and went, probably Trent's. Liverpool break with the ball. And Alexander-Arnold lines one up! And finds the net in quite stunning fashion. Trent's goal was amazing, wasn't it? Now, this is a guy who's been heavily criticised since that Manchester United uh, performance. So there was almost a little bit of redemption there, Stephen. But there was a, there was a hint of sort of Gerrard-esque finishing. I think did Gerrard scored one against Manchester United a bit like that. Yeah, Gerrard scored quite a few like that um, against all sorts of opposition. And Trent's goal was an absolute perler. You could almost sense the anticipation in the ground when um, uh, he let fly and the goalkeeper, 10 goalkeepers wouldn't have stopped that. I think there's maybe a bit of frustration perhaps in the shot as well because um, he has taken a bit of criticism. And you know what? Trent Alexander-Arnold has become this easy target for, for critics just to have a pop at. Like, it's every day of the week almost, you know. Trent Alexander-Arnold wasn't the reason Liverpool lost against Manchester United. The reason Liverpool lost at Manchester United was because United 
turned up for starters and Liverpool couldn't cope with them early on but um, I'm a massive fan of Trent Alexander-Arnold what he gives to Liverpool Football Club and what he has done for the past few years has been immense yeah listen he's made mistakes but Virgil van Dijk has made mistakes and he's the best defender on the planet. So um, maybe get off Trent's back. And I'm even talking about Liverpool supporters here. Maybe those who um, have had a pop at him should get off his back and support the lad. Because he's just sensational. He's world class. What he does going forward in terms of assists and goals is off the charts. He's um, in many respects reinventing the right fullback position. And um, in years to come he's going to go down as a Liverpool icon. So um, I'm a total supporter of Trent and I do get angry whenever people are having this non-stop pop at him because um, of his value to the football club and I'm certain that Jurgen Klopp knows his value and that's why he plays in the team every week and certainly whenever the big games come around he's huge for us. Don't get Stephen Beacom angry. Look, there was lots of young talent on display. It was a day where Jurgen could afford to throw different elements of young talent on there. Bobby Clark... Clearly Carvalho, you you look at his first goal and you look at the influence he's going to have and you hear Trent talking about him and I think players in the squad, James, are all alerted to the quality of this young lad. Yeah, yeah, he's he's made a huge impression in the short period of time he, he's been at the club. I think you only had to see the way in which he was mobbed after he dispatched that volley into the net in front of the cop to see uh, what a popular lad he is. I think... Um, you speak to any of the senior pros and and they'll tell you that he's lit up training with with the, with his quality he's got that combined with with a great work ethic and attitude and and temperament and i think probably the the only thing that's probably stopped him from being in the in contention to start i think so far is he is just such a great option to bring off the bench especially at a time when the squad is so heavily depleted and again, you know and again you know liverpool obviously didn't need game changers off the bench because the game was long since won on saturday but you know he, he is able to play you know in the front three he's able to play in the midfield three as well he's caught the eye every single time he's pulled on a shirt that's some achievement really for a, you know a 19 year old kid who who by rights should still be feeling his way in gently to to life at Liverpool and dealing with the the pressure and expectation but he just seems to have taken everything in his stride doesn't he and um yeah when when you look at some of the crazy transfer fees being banded around this summer and you know you know you look at someone like you know Anthony going from Ajax to Manchester United for what is it 100 million euros and Fabio Cavallio to Liverpool for I think even with the add-ons it'll be 7.7 million pounds I mean that is absolute peanuts when you think of how much potential he's got and the fact that you know you kind of think well how good can he become because you know the the talent is already so so obvious at, at such a young age so obviously how do you get another Carvalho uh, and will the club get someone else in a midfield role during this window John W Henry at Anfield with his wife Linda uh, just quickly back to you James was that any indication that Maybe some conversation is going on, or was it, was it just sheer coincidence that they were there? Oh, I think it would have been sheer coincidence. I don't think John W. Henry's presence at Anfield on the weekend meant that there were some, you know, grand talks over spending money before deadline day and all the rest of it. Because you know, the simple reason is that you know Mike Gordon is is essentially the the FSG guy who runs Liverpool on a day to day basis, and you know, and those those conversations you know happen 
you know, it's continually, you know, between Mike Gordon, between Klopp and Julian Ward, the sporting director, I don't think it would have it would have needed John W. Henry to to fly in to to suddenly say, actually, John, any chance of a few quid I could do with a midfielder. Um so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be intriguing to see whether they do get get a deal done before Thursday's deadline. I think really interesting how Klopp's stance has changed over probably the last month when I think back to you know, in pre-season, I was sat there when he was very dismissive of, you know, I don't understand this discussion. Why would we need another midfielder? And then rattled off, you know, the great belief he had and all the various options. And then, of course, since then, the injuries have kicked in with losing, you know, say Chamberlain and Thiago and Jones and then Cater and obviously thrown into the mix, you know, Cater's contract situation and the murmurings of discontent from his camp. So I think I think all of that is kind of, you know, combined with the disappointed start results-wise to make the club reassess. And, you know, Klopp was quite honest, wasn't he, last week, said, you know, yes, of course it's changed. You know, we are looking, but it has to be, you know, the right player at the at the right price. And I don't think we'll see, if Liverpool do do something, I don't think we'll see a kind of a sticking plaster type signing, which is what they did with the centre-back issue you know, the season before last when they left it very late in the window and then brought in Ozan Kabak and Ben Davis, you know, two players who ultimately were, were nowhere near the level required for Liverpool. I mean, Liverpool qualified for the Champions League that season in spite of them rather than because of either of those two players. So if they do do something, it will be it's because they're able to do a deal for someone who's already on their radar and someone that they see as having a role to play for the next three, four Five years. I mean, you know, the the rumor mill obviously is in absolute overdrive with the number of links to, you know, to so many players. I think obviously, as we've talked about on the pod previously, Jude Bellingham is the prime target. But there's, you know, there's no chance of getting him out of Dortmund this week. You know, he that's that's one that's on hold until 2023. But yeah, I, I really hope they can they can get a, a deal done because I just think you know even Van Dijk talked about it in the mix zone with a few of us on after the game on Saturday that, you know, he said, you know, you always want a lot of midfielders because he said, you know, it's the it's the area of the team that Klopp rotates more than any other. And especially when when you look at that schedule in the next few months, especially with how crammed in all the Champions League games are, I don't really see how Liverpool cannot do something. And, and yes, they might end up having to pay a bit more than they would want because, of course, teams, you know, at this point in the window, it's going to be difficult to convince teams to sell, especially players that... That they want to want to retain, but um, I I think it is an area that that has to be addressed before Thursday, and and that's why I think you know as good as Liverpool were on the weekend, I don't think I don't think that changes anything on that front. I tell you what, they're great at Liverpool, Stephen, and that's keeping their cards close to their chest. So Jude Bellingham's maybe the exception in the sense that we know they're interested in him, but I would imagine that there are targets that we're unaware of. Remember when Fabinho walked through the door, and we were all a bit like, "Wow, that's taken us by surprise." So you can only hope there is a shortlist and some sort of availability this week of a top quality player. Yeah, I think Liverpool do need help in that area of the pitch. The injury situation has obviously been very concerning. The Jude Bellingham one, like it'll be a huge disappointment if he doesn't sign at some point now, won't it? It seems as if um, we've been talking about him for years and he's obviously a, a brilliant young player, still a teenager, so much more to give. He's inventive. He scores goals, he can make tackles, so he's got a great all-round game. 
But you got to have faith in Jurgen Klopp and obviously the people behind the scenes to do the business. But going forward, there's no doubt that it's a position that Liverpool need to strengthen. If you think about it, Fabinho, who, as you guys know, I'm a massive admirer of, and it was great to see him back on Saturday. He's 28. Jordan Henderson's 32. James Milner's 36. And then you've got, sadly, the guys who seem to get injured a lot more than the other ones. Thiago, he's 31. Keita, I don't know how long he's going to last because of the situation. And Oxlade Chamberlain at 29. And then, of course, you've got the young lads, Harvey Elliott and, and Curtis Jones. So I do think that midfield is an area where Liverpool need to look at. And hopefully the club can um, do some business this week. And hopefully, like, Bellingham arrives in 2023 because he is going to add so much to the squad. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, and we finally reached the closing week of the summer transfer window. Premier League clubs have spent more than their German, Italian, Spanish and French counterparts combined and they are not done yet. Don't miss any of the twists and turns with myself, David Ornstein, Adam Crafton and many more on the Athletic Football Podcast this week as we take you inside the deals that really matter. We're free to listen wherever you get your podcasts and we're ad-free on the Athletic app. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot. Probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Right, just before we completely go off the, the Bournemouth game, there's nothing that we, we've we missed, is there, James? I mean, there was so much we could talk about. I just want to make sure that we've, we've covered all all angles. Well, I think I think mainly probably Oh, just, Bobby Firmino. We yeah, never really the, mentioned him. No, Goodness we need me. to... I think we need to, um, yeah, add to the, the glowing tributes to Roberto Firmino because, um, yeah, like like a lot of Liverpool players, he's had a, he'd had a difficult start to the season. You know, and if truth be told, probably only the fact that Nunes was still banned and and Jota was still out injured was was why he started against Bournemouth. But um, yeah, to 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 come away with a hat trick of assists and two goals and to bring up his century of goals for Liverpool as well on the day, he deserved that standing ovation that he got when he came off because you know what what a servant he's been to Liverpool. You know if. You know, as it looks at the minute, if it is his last year with the club, obviously he's out of contract next summer. Then you know he will go down in the history books as a as a bona fide Anfield legend because he's been there obviously from you know the the word go under Klopp. You know after you know what had been a, a difficult first few months to his Liverpool career under Brendan Rodgers, and you know, of course it was Klopp who had that faith to play him in that false nine role that 
you know, Klopp, I think Klopp said himself last season, you know, people should be writing books about how Roberto Firmino kind of redefined that position. Incredibly intelligent footballer who I think probably his powers have waned slightly, I think it's fair to say, in the last 18 months to two years. And, and of course, he's had to adjust to not being an automatic starter anymore because you know, we've seen... You know, Jota come in and break up that established order, then Diaz back in January and now now Nunes. But I think that bodes well for the season ahead. The fact that he looked that sharp. And it's suddenly, you know, when when Firmino's got that got that, that belief back, you know, he's suddenly he's trying everything he's trying is coming off, isn't it? I mean, some of his touches at the weekend were utterly ridiculous. I mean, you know, because Salah missed that sitter from about a yard out. It won't get replayed probably as often as it should, but that you know that flick into Harvey Elliott's pass, um, you know, and there was a scooped pass, wasn't there, to Salah first half as well that that nearly led to a goal. Yeah, he's such a such a unique and such a gifted footballer, Firmino. And I, I just thought right through the spine of the team, Liverpool looked so much more like them their old selves. I thought you know Fabino as well. Fabino, as strange as I still think it was that Fabino was dropped at Old Trafford, because I still think even a fifty percent effective Fabino should still start for Liverpool when you've got so few other options because of the injuries. You know he he was poor in the first two games, but he was he was back to his controlling best against uh, Bournemouth, and then you know Van Dijk as well, who's come in for a lot of stick. The first clean sheet since April. And then I, think, I suppose the other thing that stuck out for me was the quality of the set pieces as well, which have been pretty dreadful in the opening three games. And, you know, what, what Liverpool scored, what, two goals from corners. Then you had the, you know, I think Firmino's second came from a quite a clever short corner between Robertson and, and Carvalho with Robertson shot, parried, and Firmino tucked it away with one of his no-look uh, trademark finishes. So, um, yeah, it just felt that, in every department, Liverpool was so much more polished. And yeah, Klopp spoke on Friday about how they'd had this big meeting where Klopp felt he needed to get a few things off his chest. And yet again, he's managed to find the right words at the right time because the uh, the response was pretty emphatic. Footballing genius, Jurgen Klopp. And, and for me, I love those no-look finishes. It's a footballing arrogance that few have got, isn't it? It's just brilliant to watch. Uh, you can read all about Firmino's 100 Liverpool goals uh, Kiva and Mark Carey have written about that on The Athletic now, so check that out. Uh, and also, of course, the thoughts from the match at the weekend uh, James has written on the site at the moment. Um, look, big week, Newcastle. I, th- I think we're going to have this all season, aren't we? This relentless nature of games, Stephen. Newcastle probably not going to be as, as easy as Bournemouth. You know, they're, they're a side that are growing. And, a, you know, a midweek game under the lights. Well, actually, it might still be light for most of it, but... Um, you, you know, I think that's going to be a slightly different proposition for the Reds on Wednesday. Newcastle look a proper team all of a sudden. Um, I think Eddie Howe has um, uh, bought well. I think um, the tactics that he's used so far have um, uh, impressed. You only have to think about what they did against Manchester City. You know, they were um, uh, well in control of that game and looking as if they were going to beat Manchester City until um, they woke up in the second half. So... I think it's a difficult match, Steve. I really do. I think Liverpool have to be on it right from the get-go. They have to score first because um, whenever Liverpool have been conceding 
um, first this season. It's been alarming at times, you know, um, uh, the, the mindset. So I think it's very, very important to be concentrated, to be focused and to be on it from the start. And this is an important run of games for the Reds now. If you think about it, Newcastle at home. Then you've got the Derby against Everton at Goodison. Napoli away in the Champions League. Wolves at home. And then um, uh, you've got Chelsea coming up as well. So there's, there's tough matches. Ajax in there too. And of course, that leads us up to the international break. After the international break, you've got that double header with Rangers. Can't tell you, boys, how excited people are over in Northern Ireland about Liverpool playing Rangers, by the way. I'm sure it's the same in Liverpool, the same in Glasgow. That is going to be an epic couple of games. Obviously, I've, I've been delighted and proud to be at Liverpool on European nights facing um, British opposition. And the atmosphere at Anfield whenever Rangers come to town is just going to be absolutely stunning. And it's going to be the same at Ibrox. I remember Gary Neville said that the, the loudest ground he'd ever been at was at Ibrox when Manchester United played Rangers in Europe. And I covered that match. And um, before kickoff, it was literally deafening. You couldn't hear what the guy next to you was saying. So Liverpool are going to enjoy that. To be in the away end at Ibrox that night is going to be something to behold, let me tell you. And I'll say this as well. I don't think those are two easy matches because Rangers in Europe are a very, very tough outfit. They reached the final, obviously, of the Europa League last season. They're in the Champions League group stages for a reason. So um, they're going to be very, very difficult, and we shouldn't take that for granted. Obviously, Ajax and Napoli are going to be tough ties as well. So it's a tasty group for the Reds, and the one I'm looking forward to is, um, you know, whenever you, you have that double header against Rangers, that is just going to be different class, boys. And plus, the teams have never met competitively before. So um, savour it. Drink it in, as someone once said, because um, it's going to be something to, to cherish in years to come. And um, although I have friends at Rangers, and I know a few players very, very well at Rangers, I do hope Liverpool give them a going over. I've, I've, I've no qualms about saying that either. So hopefully it'll be um, a couple of successful nights for Liverpool. And I think Jurgen Klopp's going to relish that as well. I think he's going to rel relish that Battle of Britain fever up against Gio Van Bronckhorst so um, there's so much to look forward to and I know I'm getting ahead of myself because we should only really be concentrating on Newcastle but um, I think that Bournemouth match has um, reinvigorated a lot of Liverpool fans and it certainly reinvigorated me. Whetted the appetite. I wish people on this pod could see Stephen's smiling face. He's properly looking forward <laughs> to that Rangers game. Uh, what, what do you make of the Champions League draw, James? It's a quick turnaround. All those six group matches will be done by what the 2nd of November? Yeah, it, it certainly does add like a different dynamic to it, doesn't it? I think this season, the fact that it is so condensed and, and intense. Yeah, I must admit, I did I did groan when, when Napoli came out of the hat in, in Liverpool's group because, um, yeah, been there a few, a few times and um, quite a hostile place, I'd say. I think, I think the last time I was there, me and a few other reporters ended up having to turn a brisk walk into as close to a sprint as I can get to get away from <laughs> some ultras who I didn't think wanted to talk tactics. I think they um, were after something else. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't think too many people will be relishing that return. Although, you know, it's obviously a different, a different Napoli now with, you know, no Ancelotti and, you know, Koulibaly for, for starters. Ajax is a great trip. I think for the fans, they'll, they'll love that. I think there was, 
I know a lot of supporters that were gutted when Liverpool obviously got Ajax in the Champions League during the season behind closed doors, which which meant there was no travel. So that will that will be a great occasion, and, and of course, you know, Ajax have have been depleted somewhat by um, by Ten Hag returning and cherry picking a couple of their best players this this window. And then, you know, as as Stephen said, the, the Rangers games are mouth watering, and I think the exciting thing for me is that is something completely different because. I think that's sometimes the argument with the Champions League that you, you look at it and you think, well, I, I feel like I've seen this game a hundred times before, but we definitely haven't with Liverpool and Rangers and there'll be a real edge to it. And I like the fact that that's the, that's the back-to-back doubleheader in the in the middle of the group. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing that struck me about it was I do think, again, it just shows how UEFA, I don't know what goes on in terms of the disregard for supporters when you think that, you know, we had to wait an ex- another couple of days after the draw for the fixtures to be confirmed. And then you've got a situation where, you know, fans effectively get 10 days notice to, to get themselves to Naples. And, you know, there's not a huge amount of of direct flights and easy ways to, to get there. That baffles me again, the fact that things are made so difficult. But um, yeah, unfortunately, it's probably something we've we've come to accept. You sure these ultras weren't part of the James Pierce fan club? <laughs> they, they, they definitely weren't after a selfie, Steve. <laughs> uh, boys, it's an absolute pleasure as always. Stephen Beacom, Chief Sports Writer of the Belfast Telegraph, James Pierce as well. Check those articles uh, out now on The Athletic. Well worth a read. And of course, uh, if you do want to sign up, you can read all the articles on Liverpool for a special price, a pound a month for six months. That's at theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. Thanks as always for checking out the Red Agenda and we'll see you next time.